Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick is the owner and founder of Excelable. She has her post-professional doctorate degree in occupational therapy with a focus on disability management and return-to-work services. She has presented nationally on disability management, ergonomics, and functional capacity evaluations. She is a recognized leader in injury management with over 25 years of professional experience. She has spoken internationally on injury reduction and prevention, and is currently one of two delegates chosen in the United States for organizing the 2022 International Functional Capacity Evaluation Research Symposium. That was a mouthful to get through. (laughs) She has established relationships with top insurance companies and has won contracts with leading employers such as Fortune 500 companies, the United States Postal Service, and several workers' comp insurance companies. Dr. Fitzpatrick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's an absolute honor, especially given the circumstances of what you had to go through to start (laughs) this podcast. You were out of power. Yes. um, I live way out in the country, and uh, it started yesterday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, we are supposed to get it back at 3 o'clock today. Um, And it happens pretty much weekly in California. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Wow. I will definitely be praying for you that the, the power comes on. I wonder um, if you do Thank the you. same thing that I do where you just like continually forget. So you're like, oh, I'm going to watch TV. Oh, I can't watch TV. Okay. Well, walk in the kitchen. Oh, nope. It's dark in the kitchen. Um, well, I guess I'll play on the computer. Nope. Can't play on the computer. Like everything is off limits. We have been blessed to uh, have a generator um, because of where we live in the country. Everyone has a generator. So we are able to use certain things like our refrigerator freezer But I will say it was kind of a blessing last night with the kids um, when we got back from school and after school activities to come home to a quiet house where there was no TV. And last night we actually just uh, finished homework and we played games. And it was just a wonderful evening, actually. And everyone was in bed by 8.30. So it was perfect. That's amazing. That sounds like barbaric in 2021. But (laughs) you're right. Like, especially during the pandemic, we got way into playing just, um, you know, analog games, games we used to love, like Sorry and different card games and stuff like that. It's so much fun. Oh, it was. Yeah, we had a a blast. A lot of good laughs last night. So it was a lot of fun. That's great. I love to hear that. That's fantastic. Uh, Before we get going, too, I have to ask you, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. What was that like? Um, it was uh, quite an experience or journey, to say the least. Um, I had trained uh, for many, many months prior to going and went out with one of my um, girlfriends in the medical field. And uh, she was, I was not married at the time, and she was married with kids. So her training regimen was not as intense as mine was. Um, but when we got to the last day of somebody and they give you oxygen just to, um, have you kind of get through the moment, but, uh, or be able to summit. And as we started early in the morning, around 12 AM, 1 AM, uh, to get to summit. So you're summiting by the time the sun rises, um, about two hours in, I remember kind of recalling, like counting backwards and not being able to count backwards. Or I thought, well, maybe I could do a nursery rhyme like Jack and Jill and, not being able to remember Jill from Jack and Jill. And I turned to my friend and I said, are you feeling okay? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. And within moments we got caught in a whiteout or a blizzard. And so we ended up 
uh, getting to this cave and hunkering down. And I turned to my friend Nina and I said, my gosh, I just don't feel well. I'm having a hard time breathing. And she grabbed one of the Sherpa's telescope or uh, um, stethoscope and uh, was listening to my lungs. And she said, oh my gosh, you uh, have fluid in your lungs. You need to get down this mountain or you're going to die. And we had made a bet that if one of us summits, um, or if one of us can still summit to have that person go ahead. So she uh, continued onward, regretfully so. And I talked to my Sherpa at the time and he said, oh, Lisa, of course we can make it. Um, And I was not of clear mind. And so we start slowly going up the mountain. Um, We had about, oh gosh, maybe 400 feet left to summit. And I remember Nina telling me, if you start coughing, that means that the the fluid in your lungs is getting much higher and uh, you will only have a few hours to uh, live. And at that point, I start coughing. Nina's screaming at me on the radio, get down, get down the mountain. And I turned to the Sherpa and I said, we have to go. And so I start running down the the side of the mountain to get back to base camp. (laughs) Never made it to the top. Um, but, uh, got into my tent and I was absolutely devastated. So I was crying, upset. Oh my gosh, I didn't summit. Um, we'd spent seven days climbing this mountain and I didn't make it to the top. And Nina came in and she was, you know, went, wanted to show me pictures. And I screamed at her, of, you know, <laughs> how could you go up without me? And she turned to me and said, um, life is about the journey, not the destination. When wow. you figure that out, come back out and talk to me. And uh, it was very um, eye-opening for me. And you know, for your listeners, that a lot of times we look so towards that destination, towards that end result, and realizing that life is really about the journey and the little things you miss along the way when you don't recognize the journey and see, you know, stop and smell the flowers and stop and enjoy just those tiny little moments throughout the day. That is like uh, yesterday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, a bad situation that turned into like an amazing memory for the entire family. What a crazy story. That's, that is so amazing. Um, I just finished a book called 4,000 weeks and 4,000 weeks is basically like pretty much a lifespan. And it's, it's kind of touches on some of those concepts of like, you think you're, you're going to this big goal and this, you know, a, a summit in your case. And that's where like the happiness is, but really most of them, you're probably not going to get to anyway. And you miss everything along the way, thinking you were chasing happiness when you weren't. So I think that's a beautiful lesson. I mean, literally and figuratively, that's amazing. What an experience. Yeah, a lot of times we really forget to focus on those smaller moments in life. And I have, unfortunately, unfortunately, Kilimanjaro is just one of the many, um, uh, I won't say it's a struggle, but journeys that I've encountered in my 50 years of life that have uh, caused me to stop and take pause, if you will. And in those moments, uh, it's really what you learn from those moments, but really stopping and taking a look at your life and taking a look at what's important and stopping and breathing um, and, and really practicing gratitude of being alive and being able to enjoy those moments. That is absolutely incredible. I love that so much. I do want to talk about your life and your journey and the things you've experienced. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and what you're doing today? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, my background is um, 
like many, just a schooling, post-professional doctor degree in occupational therapy. Um, I left the clinical space really in uh, the early 2000, 1999, 2000, and started my own business. I was blessed with working with some of the disability insurance companies, Union Provident, Mass Mutual, Hartford, and they would fly me around the country and I would help evaluate uh, injured workers with making any amount of accommodations we could to get them back to work. So whether it would be just helping them um, appreciate that they do have a life-altering injury and the, the little things that we could um, bless them with to accommodate so they could return to work. Uh, for example, dentists or physicians or um, business owners with setting up their offices and getting them back to work. And really working in that industry for the past uh, 20, gosh, 25, 20, well, 21 years. Um, you know, I, I know we just um, uh, celebrated, or I guess not celebrated, but September 11th, the 20th anniversary, and it's not a celebration by any means, but some of my clients were clients that had actually lived through that moment. And the insurance company uh, sent me up to New York City to see what we could do and just helping through that PTSD moment. Wow. And it, again, was just a... Um, for me, another life altering moment, I didn't live through 9-11 um, in that location in New York City, but I was one of the people that came in the next week and really trying to help some of these displaced workers that live through it. How can we get you back to work? Um, and it was a very scary experience being in New York City where it was just completely dead quiet. Um, I, I was able to stay at the Waldorf Astoria for $99 a night because no one was wow. there. So, um, of course, now $99 a night would be unheard of at the Waldorf Astoria. Um, but they were so appreciative of anyone even coming into the town or into the city um, and staying in the places and, and still, you know, for me, enjoying what the city had to offer and feeling safe, but at the same time, really trying to help these people that were displaced. So wow. um, from there, just uh, morphed into working with all levels of injury and disability. We did a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work with the United States Postal Service with their letter carriers. Um, as you've probably seen your letter carrier in your area, um, they're, especially the ones that are walking around, they're doing anywhere from 15 to 20,000 steps a day while carrying 35 to 75 pounds of packages a day. So, of course, they're prone to injury and really helping them and evaluating them for return to work. Um, through that process, as I mentioned to you, I um, uh, gave birth to three children. I have a twin girls and a, an eight-year-old, or I'm sorry, not an eight-year-old, eight-year-old twin girls and an 11-year-old boy. Um, after my girls were born, I got very sick and um, ended up where I was essentially paralyzed from my waist down um, and fought a chronic, uh, undiagnosed chronic illness for eight years while still running a company and um, traveling around the United States, helping other injured workers 
and not letting them see that I too was injured. Um, so pretty much every spring I ended up in the emergency room with weakness and um, inability to really even take care of my family, climb the stairs, make a meal. Um, it happened every spring. And so I would just let my clients know that, oh, you know, I'm out of town or I can't do this or I'm not able to um, come and see you this week or this month. And uh, it really, um, in writing the book, it's called Can Someone Help Me? really helped me understand, again, just about appreciating those moments of of the joy that can can happen in every day and also being vulnerable um, as a clinician in the medical field. I think it's really important for us to let our patients and people that are seeking out services know that we too have pain. We too can get injured. We too know what it's like to be scared. Um, we too are vulnerable and at times very sad and very depressed and very stressed. Um, and again, with the importance of COVID right now, it's, you know, we, we do empathize with what you're going through. Um, but we have to also be seen as the person who is strong and can help you. And sometimes it's really hard to wear both of those hats every day. You have your own struggles that you're going through personally, but then you have this community that really depends on you to help um, them get better and feel better. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that does require a lot of vulnerability. I remember that was probably the most difficult lesson my mom had to learn when she was diagnosed with cancer. It's like, you have to let people help you at some point. And if you're stubborn and, you know, capable for most of your life, that must, that's a really hard lesson. She had a really tough time with that. I'm, I'm curious, did, did they ever figure out like what, why, what was, what the cause of the chronic disease was or why it would come back only in the springtime? Um, they never fully figured it out. Um, through my book, I talk about it a little bit. I ended up having, um, somewhat of a rare blood disorder that was affecting my muscle tissue that caused the weakness. But I also think when I would start to get symptoms, um, it was a combination of stress. And I talk about the impact that stress plays on your life. So as I, when I first initially was sick, my husband and we were living in the Midwest, traveled to Cleveland Clinic. And the first visit at the Cleveland Clinic, they did multiple tests. I was hooked up with the neurology team because I also had a lot of neuro symptoms and was told um, they were not sure whether or not I had a degenerative muscle disease and to come back in six months and be tested. Um, as a mother of, at the time, 10-month-old twins and a three-year-old to be told, um, we're not sure if you have a degenerative muscle disease, such as ALS, um, because that's where my mind went as a clinician. That's a very scary thing to hear. And to be, come back in six months and see what happens, <laughs> You're, those six months between A and B um, is a radical change in your life. And to be told when I went back, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. And again, this was in the initial stages of my disease um, or sickness. It was, I remember very vividly that my husband was very excited. My parents were very excited. We were staying at my aunt's house in Cleveland. And there was this trepidation of when my husband and I were going to the appointment. 
And when I came back and, and they were all, what happened? You know, tell us, how are things going? What did they say? And I said, well, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And there was this huge celebration. And I went upstairs into the room I was staying in at my aunt's house and I laid down and I cried. And I said, oh my gosh, I know there's something wrong with me, but they can't figure it out. And that was so scary because then I felt like people aren't going to believe me. They're not going to believe that there's something wrong with me, but I know my body. I was an athlete. I mean, my gosh, I climbed Kilimanjaro. I'm running a business and I couldn't feel my legs most of the time. So I was tripping and falling and I had severe weakness. Um, so in my mind, I knew my body and I was like, there's something wrong. There's something that's not right. But to be told, we can't figure out what's wrong with you, go live your life. It's very hard when your body doesn't want to allow you to do that. And I remember praying, God, please, you know, like, let me have MS, let me have cancer. So I can tell people that I have a disease and it would make sense to them on why I couldn't do things, which is so horrible now when I look wow. back on those moments and I see people who have suffered with MS or have had cancer. And I was laying in bed praying, why can't I have those diseases? Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely horrible. Um, so yeah, for, and it literally took eight years. Um, it, and I would have fluctuations where times would be really good. Um, but my, I went from being a nationally ranked triathlete to not really being able to run in certain cases or, or even walk. And if I was running, it was, it was a joke of when I came home from running, how many times did I fall? Um, I'll, I'll never forget when my girls, again, they were super small and we were walking in the house from the garage and I was carrying both of my twins and my little son was falling behind me. And I hit the first step, but I, I didn't feel it. And I tripped and I had both of the girls in my arms or one of the girls. And I remember as I was falling forward, the stairs to go down to the basement were right there. And so I just football held her and like rolled and my head kind of fell over the first step. And I just held onto her for dear life. Like, please, God, don't let me drop her. And, um, as I was laying there, my little, my son came over to me at the time and he said, is mommy okay? And I turned to him because I, you know, they were, he was frightened. And I said, yeah, mommy's fine. But in my mind, I thought mommy's not okay. <laughs> this is not good. So uh, you, you go through those moments where your mind kind of plays these tricks. And for anybody listening, you have moments where you get sick and you get injured and you come across as I'm strong, I'm resilient, and I've got this, but it's really scary inside. And your body is telling you fight or flight. Like, you, 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 what do you do now? You know, it's, it's very scary. And so that stress on your body just continues to take its toll. And can, your body can only handle so much. And after suffering it, suffering from it for eight years, and living my day-to-day -day routine and trying to be strong for my patients and my husband and my kids and my external family, your body eventually just says, we can't do it anymore. Um, enough is enough. And 
The um, epiphany for me was really, I found uh, two great clinicians. We had moved back to San Diego um, at the University of California, San Diego, my hematologist, and then my primary care doctor, and I write about them in my book, Dr. Charles Azar and Dr. Millen. And they discovered kind of what was going on. And I'll never forget Dr. Azar when I was telling him my story. And he just sat there and he listened. And he's like, we're, we're here to help you. We're here to figure this out. And I just sat in his office and cried and cried and cried. And I said, I'm scared. Like no, no medical professionals listening to me of they're telling me, oh, you're just stressed out. You're, um, you know, doing too much, being a mother, being a business owner. And he's like, that's not fair. <laughs> um, you know, we need to listen more to our patients. So it really was that eye opening for me of we need to listen to our patients, but we also need to really be vulnerable with our patients and share our stories. So when I see my clients now, uh, I had a lady once tell me, you have no idea how it feels to be in pain. And I said, you're right. I have no idea what it feels like to be in your body and be in pain. But I do want to share my story with you and we can sit here and commiserate together and let you know that you can see and make it to the other side when you are able to come up with the proper tools and resources to help work through that process. And so for me, it was really building up, again, going back to gratitude of, yes, I might fall when I go for a run. Yes, I can no longer be the athlete I wanted to be. Or yes, I regret the mother I was for the eight years I was sick. But I can't look back in the past. I have to look at what happens today. And I have to be so grateful for the flowers blooming and what I see um, in the earth and in my everyday experiences and enjoy those little simple moments of, oh my gosh, the electricity went out yesterday. What are we going to do? We're going to play games. Or uh, it's just those little moments of, you know, keeping a gratitude journal and and what are you thankful for? Um, And that's where I I really try to cherish those moments. Wow, that is... (laughs) That is amazing. You should have seen me and my face, like as you're describing falling with your daughters, like, oh my goodness, like I'm I'm just like open mouth, like in horror. What a horrible thing to feel. Um, and you're right, it is it is interesting to see the accumulation of of stress buildup and the the fight or flight that you mentioned, that sympathetic nervous system that's always revved up and never has a time to rest. It just means you're always on the alert, you're always looking for predators that are gonna kill you. You never have time to like repair and rebuild. It's so important to be able to work in, you know, stress management tools and things like that, and which I definitely want to talk about. I do want to ask, what was it like to be I guess on the other side of the consultation room as a patient versus, you know, treating people the way you were before, what, what other things did you learn about the medical system that maybe were kind of eye-opening to you? That is such a great question. (laughs) Um, Again, I write about this so much in my book because it was a very frustrating process as a patient. Um, And not to talk specifically of any medical professional, but it was, and I had some great medical professionals who would sit and listen along the way, but more often than not, um, especially in some of these bigger organizations, 
um, you were seen as somewhat of a number of just kind of getting through, pushed through the system. Uh, the fact that it was at the Mayo Clinic and told again, there was nothing wrong with you. And we spent tens of thousands of dollars to go there. We were lucky to be able to afford um, the ability to go to the Mayo Clinic. And we chose to go down the Mayo Clinic has a program for the undiagnosed individuals. And you go through this week program where they have you see all these specialists. Um, and at the end to be told, we cannot figure out what's wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. When again, in reality, someone did figure it out, but it's so um, degrading, demeaning. Um, again, from a female perspective to be told frequently, you, I was told by one physician, you need to divorce your husband. You need to quit your job what? and you need to just take care of your family. And I was like, I was blown away. Like, are you kidding me? Um, so does that mean that every single female who um, is sick should just quit their job and uh, raise their kids? Um, it was, and if not, they're going to get sick. Um, I was absolutely blown away. And at no point, people would say you're stressed out. At no point did someone bring the correlation between um, until the very end that the stress and anxiety is a cause of your initial injury, illness. It was always the stress and anxiety caused your injuries, illness. It wasn't that the stress and anxiety exacerbated your illness in itself. And again, I write this whole chapter about stress in my book and why as medical professionals, are we so afraid to talk about, and I think it's getting better now, but about anxiety and mental health and the impact that that plays on the body recovering from any type of illness, sickness, or injury. Um, it is so important to make note of that with, and I don't care if you broke your arm or if you have a severe injury where you hurt your back or you're going through cancer or some uh, other type of chronic illness, the impact of mental health and how that impacts your ability to recover or sustain or reduce the progression of your disease is significant. And even my best friend who went through, um, uh, she had a double mastectomy and went through breast cancer treatment. And I asked her, what did your medical professional say to you about stress and just about your mental well-being? And she said, I had to seek that out on my own. No one talked to me about it. And I knew I was not okay. Um, and so if, and she's also in the medical field. So if we're in the medical field, and we're thinking to ourselves, no one's talking to us about that, but we know we have to go seek that out because we don't feel how we used to feel. What happens to the person who's not in the medical field and they aren't aware of why is their body feeling this way? Why do I have this sense of, oh my gosh, I'm scared all the time. What's going to happen to me? I was so, uh, I, it was like living on the short fuse that if my kids did something wrong, instead of just calmly walking through the process with them, I would just become so irritable and angry because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I'm not a good mother. I can't take care of them how I want to take care of them. And I just became this angry, irritable person. 
And then on the opposite side of the spectrum and running my business, I had to be the helper and caregiver. And I had to kind of just have this white coat that there's nothing wrong with me. I live this perfect life and I always look athletic and blah, blah, blah. When in reality, inside I was crumbling. Um, And so that to me is what is... I think from the medical side, we need to be more aware of, we need to be more willing to share our vulnerabilities with our patients and letting our patients know it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel angry, to feel frustrated, to have anxiety. And then here's the tools and resources to help you so it doesn't continue to take you down that rabbit hole of of regression or or continued sickness. Wow, that is amazing. We couldn't agree more about the mental health side of things. I mean, just doing this podcast, it just seems to come up over and over and over. And you really get a sense of, okay, this this is a much, much bigger problem than I think most people would assume it's like at the the tip of the iceberg as as far as what people are feeling. And we haven't necessarily gone the right way in the last year and a half during the pandemic. So we couldn't agree more. Um, Before my next question, I just have to say, what did your husband say when he learned that your doctor said you need to get a divorce? Was he like, yo, what's up? Like. Uh, well, my mom, it was at the Mayo Clinic and my mom was actually with me on that trip. And um, I turned to the doctor and I said, we're leaving. Um, and I didn't say anything to my mom. And we got, my mom was driving the car and we got in the car and I broke down and she stopped the car and pulled over and gave me a hug. And she's like, and she's a nurse. Um, and she said, I don't even know what to say, um, but you know, I'm here for you. And I said, I just don't know what to feel anymore. Like I had so much hopes going in that they were going to fix me and I don't know what to feel. Unfortunately, after that clinic, I slid backwards tremendously. Um, And again, I think that mental health component really had a a play in that. But I vividly remember um, my son was on the swim team and standing there at the swim team, hanging on to my husband, because there were so many people, this was of course, pre-COVID, there were so many people standing around and I thought I was going to trip and fall and I didn't want to embarrass my family. So I was hanging on to my husband for dear life um, and stopped really going out socially. Um, And one of my, uh, the team moms came up to me and said, oh my gosh, what has happened to you? And I said, I'm sick and I think I'm dying. Um, and she said, you look like death. (laughs) Um, and she, her husband, um, was at the hospital, physician in leadership at the local hospital. And they hooked me up with, um, a physician who again, saw me two days later and did some testing. And that's where they, um, started to come up with some, uh, results of, things that weren't uh, looking exactly up to par without discussing my whole medical history on this podcast. Um, But they, um, you know, she hooked me up with the hematologist and um, it's, you know, from there. But I remember when she did the testing that that night uh, we were driving out to the desert and I said, can we still go? And she said, oh, I think the desert would do you some good. And we were driving out and I remember laying there with my husband and saying, you know, this might be my last trip. I think I'm going to die. And, uh, 
he, you know, we just laid there and cried and the kids were asleep. Um, and then I got the call from the doctor and, and I, again, write about this, right. We got the, the notice from the hospital, of the test results that had come back, the blood work. And a couple of things you should never do is look on Google on what your blood work means. So true. <laughs> because so true. My, mine was a definitive uh, death, death sentence. Um, and so I reached out to the doctor through the portal. And surprisingly, this was like 10 o'clock on a Friday. She calls me and she's like, don't panic. Um, and it had to do with my iron and ferritin and things were just way out of whack. And she said, you're going to be fine. We're going to help you, but don't panic. You are not going to die from this or, you know, at least die today, um, unless you fall down a cliff or something, but, um, just enjoy the rest of your time there and you're going to make it through. So it was going back to your question of the medical physicians of, of just the, the, even from the clinician standpoint, it's reaching out, it's making your patients feel it's okay to not feel okay. It's okay to have all of those things wrong with them, providing them with those tools and resources, and then just listening, just stopping to listen to what they're trying to tell you, because there's so many biopsychosocial components that are involved in an illness and sickness. And if we just only focus on one small piece of it, you're not getting the full piece of the puzzle. Interesting. So it's it's really interesting to be in the health world, but not be in the medical world. And, you know, I've got a few certifications and they're just pieces of paper that say, I know something about nutrition or how to lift a weight or something. Um, and I, I feel so bad for doctors who get into the industry because they want to help people, but then they get into this system where they have to kind of churn out patients, you know, at a certain rate to be able to make the money they need to make. They have to write up all these complicated, you know, codes for insurance and they can't do certain things within the system. And so I, I, I do feel a lot for the doctors. And so I'm just curious, like how, how are the doctors expected to take the time to listen to their patients when they really might only have like five to 10 minutes with somebody and they may have to like give a subscription and and get out of there. Yeah. Well, I think part of that is having a toolbox of resources available to them. So it may not be uh, the physician that has to solve all of the problems, but they're there to provide those prescriptions to the patients of you know, there. If you're doing a, a an annual yearly checkup or yearly checkup on your patients, tell me about your stress. Tell me about your mental health. Ask those posing questions. You're not the expert that might fix their mental health, but then you'll have that resource available to you. All right, here's a list of therapists that can work with you. And I'm going to follow up with you on that. You're in pain. Here's a list of chronic pain specialists. Um, Talking about gratitude, giving them resources and content around that. So being the expert of the resources and tools, knowing that you're not always there. And I think for me, that was always my fear too. I had to fix everybody's problem. I had to be the fixer. Um, but you, you can't fix everybody's problem, but you can help guide them with resources and tools. And after 25 years building up a, um, like I think of a tree with all of its branches, like you're the trunk, but all the branches are all of your um, resources that you have at your disposal because people coming to you don't have all of those resources available. 
So as you're growing your practice or you're working for a hospital organization, that you just continue to build that network of people and really making that important in your in your lifestyle and your practice. Um, having the ability to use um, technology now because of the way the internet works um, and apps and health and all of those different things are so important for just the general health of your patients and, and well-being. Wow. That was a very, very thoughtful response. I really appreciate that. And I would love to tie that into the work that you do now using technology. Tell me, tell me how the, the idea for your company kind of came about and um, what you guys are doing. So um, we had always, as I mentioned, always worked in the field with really helping injured workers or people that were on disability. And with COVID, one of our employer partners had reached out and asked us to provide a platform for industry-specific stretching for their employees. And from there, it's really morphed into this um, very dynamic app. And we have an amazing team. It is not just me by any means. My, our team at Excelable is uh, on the forefront of really understanding um, what's happening in, in, in more specifically kind of in the work in industry um, of really looking at the impact of you know, from the worker standpoint and the employer standpoint and the insurance company standpoint of these driving healthcare costs, my driving claims cost of the cost of a claim. Um, and then from the end user, not really concerned as much about their cost of claim, but about their overall health. So from the employer insurance side, we focus on implementing strategies and really honing in on what employee subgroup is costing you the most in your claims dollars, who is getting injured the most um, as far as when we look at your workers and your jobs and doing analytics on that specific piece and helping those people first. Um, and then overall as a whole, when we get to the employee side or the consumer side is our app is really programmed to work with um, not just the physical pains and uh, issues, but really a preventative strategy. So we have a huge mental health component. We've partnered with a company called Healbright, um, Bill Bellinger and his group on the East Coast, where they provide um, mental health content for our app and their licensed psychologist and um, a therapist that help with any situation in mental health from burnout at work to parenting relationship issues. Um, they have gratitude, um, education on content. So you're logging into our platform and then we're driving the content to you through AI. So artificial intelligence that whatever answers you're providing on a daily basis, our content that we sent to you changes. Um, our other partners, we have physical therapists, um, personal trainers, um, people like, like yourself, um, where we've partnered with and are vetted to really provide top-end content to our clients, to our employers, employees. And then um, we've even uh, partnered with a yoga company 
um, based out of Canada. They provide about 300 hours of different type of yoga, meditation, um, exercise classes. So we have a, a huge group of partners. We have over 900 hours of content right now that we push out that can be industry-specific stretching, stretching for if you have shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, foot pain, um, that content is pushed out to you for those specific areas. We provide gamification to make it fun. And uh, we also um, really focus on how can we drive down the end user's pain. So if someone signs into our app and they would say, oh, what's your pain level today? And on their ankle, they have pain and their pain shot up to a 10. We would reach out and say, why is your pain level a 10 today? What happened? Um, instead of just giving them you know, that specific exercise, um, the exercise is pushed out, but we would also say, okay, you know, maybe it's time to reach out to a medical professional for proper treatment. We're not there to treat our patients through the app. Again, it's a resource. It's just an additional resource that the end users can have to be able to say, oh, this is what's going on. Again, that mental health being such an important piece of that too. Wow, that sounds amazing. Is this something that you're seeking to provide benefit in all three of the areas that you mentioned? Like, can every, can this solution be a win-win-win for everybody across the board, including the insurance companies? Yes, 100%, because we are able to go in on the insurance company and employer side and uh, with specific software hone in on their pain point, which is you know, unfortunately, it's always money. Like, why? What? Why is this costing us so much? Why are workers' comp premiums increasing? And so, our software can go in and point out specifically what's going on in their specific pain point area, and then we structure a program around that specific pain point. From the end user um, and the employee piece, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's not going back to that cost of the claim, but it's really treating the patient. And, and again, I, I, I hate to use the term treating, but it's providing the resources to that employee um, from a holistic perspective. Yes, we can focus in on your shoulder pain and your maybe you had a relationship issue today, but tomorrow you might wake up and say, well, I have back pain and now um, I'm having work burnout. And so I want to watch some content on work burnout or what do I need to do about that? Then that is all of the content that would be pushed to you that day. You may say, oh my gosh, I really want to work with an expert in doing Pilates or one of the top, like one of our experts who teaches yoga, taught yoga at the White House. Um, so we really have, again, these top vetted experts in the country that you would have access to just from a regular employee or consumer. So you don't have to go out and vet those people for yourself. Are they credible? We've already done that for you. Wow teaching yoga at the White House, like no big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I've been playing around on the website and you guys have done a bunch of videos. You host a lot of them, which are really great. Um, and <laughs> they start from basically like episode one and it's not, this is the exact diet or here's the workout program, or this is what you need to do to get out of pain. It is breathing. And I couldn't love that more. Why did you decide to start with that as the first thing that people need to learn and be aware of? Oh, gosh. Um, I, 
I just think that is so important just to stop and take a breath um, of every moment of your day. I even tell my kids the same when they're getting angry and <gasps> just stop and breathe and learn how to breathe properly. And we go through that in three um, separate episodes on our website. And I, uh, the expert writes about in a chapter in our book. And it's just really amazing when you stop for a moment and, you know, there's all this talk of meditation and taking a moment to breathe. And I will tell you right from from what I have experienced, the thing that has really saved me is learning to breathe, learning to meditate, learning to know the symptoms that I feel. And when they come back, I have to stop and breathe. I have to go, okay, take a deep breath. You're not dead yet. <laughs> it's not <laughs> going to kill you today. Let's just take a, take a deep breath and bring your heart rate down, get your blood pressure down. So when you're ever feeling anxious and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I have this unsurmountable task I need to do, or even just something small for some people of getting out of bed, take a moment and stop and breathe, mm. let yourself breathe, let it out. Um, and you know, there's different styles of breathing. We use a different technique and, in, in, um, with, you know, our, our book. And, um, I just really think that it is so important to, to breathe. Um, and, and that's one of the, um, uh, I don't know, just one of, I, I feel like one of the main things of, of, of health is yeah. learning how to breathe. <laughs> wow. No, I absolutely love that. And I'm so glad you started with it. I do have a book recommendation for you, by the way, um, a book called Puppy Mind by Andrew Jordan Nance. It is absolutely adorable. It's a children's book. Um, I believe Andrew works in the San Francisco area and he works on getting mindfulness into classrooms at a young age. And it is beautifully oh, nice. illustrated. It is, it, it's just absolutely adorable. And, and the kid had his, has his puppy mind that runs away from him all the time and tries to control it. And, and the message at the very end is the best thing to do when you feel your puppy mind running away is just stop and take three little breaths. <laughs> And it's, it is yes. just amazing and so beautiful. So again, I'm really glad you guys started with that as the main thing. Um, I'm assuming that's also the reason why you are heavy with the yoga practice as well. Yes. Um, and a lot of times I would hear from medical professionals, oh, don't do yoga. You're going to get injured. Yoga um, does not have to be this, uh, you know, we have different yoga uh, classes that we see where it's all about intensity and uh, really contorting your body in these weird positions. Um, yes, that is a piece of yoga, but yoga can also be a very relaxation technique if done properly. Um, one of our experts, Peter Stereos, I love his yoga program. He uh, is the one that he mentioned that taught at the uh, White House, but he does a program that's really geared towards chronic pain and focusing on reducing that chronic pain and really helping through the breathing process. So yoga is just, again, a tool or a resource. And then what kind of yoga works best? For some people, they have to do more intense yoga and they really want to build their strength, but they're also as a lighter, less demanding yoga. Um, I am with our company. We're all about movement. Like it, movement is the key. If you sit still, you're going to die. Movement is the key. So when you're having pain, when you're having injury, when you're having illness, get outside, go for a walk. If walking is painful, go swimming. If swimming is painful, stretch. Um, again, in the book, I write a whole chapter on exercise and what happens to our body when we don't 
move and we don't exercise and when we have pain of why we in our body tell ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because it's going to hurt my body. Um, I had an experience, my numbness and tingling kind of comes and goes, but my arms yesterday get to the point where they're so weak, it's hard to hold on to my phone. Um, And yesterday I was just having one of those episodes. My arms were super weak and I thought, I just need to get in the pool and swim. And I'm part of the master swim team. So I jumped in the pool and I told the coach, I don't think I'm going to be able to do very much today. I'm pretty tired and weak in my arms. And I am one of them that use flippers. So I was using my flippers and swimming. And I got out of the pool after an hour and 15 minutes, which you might think is a little bit excessive, but the pain in my arms completely went away. It was like my body just had to move a little bit and had the most restful sleep last night and woke up today feeling completely refreshed, like Mm. never had those symptoms. So I can't say that's going to work for everybody. Jump in the pool and swim an hour and 15 minutes, but it's sometimes your body, especially as we get older, needs to move. Um, we're not destined to sit still all day long and we become a more sedentary society. So I think it's really important to just keep moving, keep moving, keep breathing. I love that. So much love that. One of my wife's favorite sayings is motion is lotion. And and it's so yes. true. I mean, one of the things I think that's overlooked when they when they look at the blue zones all around the world that have more centenarians in other parts of the world is all of them I, and I didn't know this, all of them are located like on or around hills. And so you have to work against gravity to get up and down. And I think that's a really, you know, kind of underrated component of, of living there. Plus, you know, they've got such great social structure and, and, you know, meaning and purpose to life, which is so important, but yeah, we couldn't, couldn't agree more about the movement. Um, do you find that it's a, it's a pretty difficult barrier of entry to get into yoga if you don't have, you know, the Lululemon outfits and the exact right yoga mat and, <laughs> No, well, those things. No. Okay, good. <laughs> no. Thank you. <laughs> no, I am not. Um, you know, Lululemon is is great. Um, uh, if they're listening, I would love if they would get uh, medical professionals the same discount they give to the trainers <laughs> because we we can promote their service or their products as well. Um, but on a side note. Um, yes, I don't, uh, always, uh, sport Lululemon or, you know, the, the perfect mat. Um, you know, I'm happy to do yoga. If I'm at a beach, I'll do yoga on the sand. I'll do yoga at a park. Um, I've also become the mindset of most of these people probably looking at me think I'm crazy, but I, I don't care if they think I'm crazy. I'm not, I, I read this book called decisive and, um, when you're making a decision, is it's going to change your life in the next 10 seconds, 10 minutes, 10 hours, um, uh, or 10 years. I think that was what it is. And I look at that just in general in life when I'm walking around and if I look stupid and silly, am I, is it going to change the effect and someone's looking at me and is that going to affect my life in the next 10 seconds? No, I may never see these people again. <laughs> so, um, you know, 10 minutes now, 10 years, um, if it's going to affect, make a, a life difference in the next 10 years of how I'm doing my yoga pose and someone's having that effect. And then, you know, yes, I think that's important, but really uh, I use that in every little aspect of my life now, 10 seconds, 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 years. And you'll be amazed of the stupid stuff you now do in your life when you think it's only 10 seconds of my time. Who cares what people think how I look? So That's amazing. I'm adding that book to my list for sure. That's a great way to look at things. I love it. Uh, So what things are coming up for the company? 
Um, we are launching our updated platform um, at the end of September that we're super excited about, the one I mentioned. Um, so we have a, an app on the App Store, but we have a whole new look uh, app, I shouldn't say just the App Store, App Store and Google Play. So we have a whole new look and feel. Um, there will be a consumer model brand that will be coming out um, as well. And then we will be doing um, new featured pushes really every two to four weeks. So that's going to happen between the end of September to beginning of January. Um, and then we're just going to be continuing to grow and develop. We have, a, as I mentioned, an amazing team. Um, and so we have a wellness coordinator and ergonomics coordinator. I guess they're officers now. Um, and so we have just brought on a phenomenal team. We're super excited about and, um, and just kind of then living our day-to-day our -day experiences and really hoping that this can be a tool and resource that people can utilize, whether they're medical professionals or consumers or businesses that we're out there to essentially help. It's um, our tagline is fixing the work injury problem from the palm of your hand um, is really what our, our goal is and uh, helping from that aspect. Wow. That's so interesting. I love it. Do you, do you anticipate big feature launches that aren't currently used or is it more just refining the current product that you already have? Oh, no, there's going to be big feature launches that aren't currently being used. Yeah, everything is um, on the app development side of um, what I've learned as a medical professional is <laughs> what I think should be done in a day does not happen in a day. <laughs> <laughs> from the, so anybody listening from the tech space, I'm finally getting it um, that, you know, even just the small little features and pushes can be really big on the back end. But what we're doing with AI uh, is really exciting. Um, and I think uh, artificial intelligence, and that's what's driving now a lot of the health and wellness and um, even on the medical model. And that's what we're really excited about is just looking at how people are walking in space and using different platforms in space and integrating that into our technology. Wow. So cool. Well, we will definitely be looking forward to that. Um, tell us uh, one thing you're really proud of. Oh gosh, my family. Um, I have an uh, amazing um, family. I, I just, I cannot be um, those are one of my blessings, one of my gratitudes uh, from my husband who puts up with all my idiosyncrasies every day. And then my three amazing kids. I posted this on LinkedIn on September 11th. And we um, come from the mindset of our kids have to be outside and get some form of exercise every day. So we went out for a early morning run on uh, Saturday, September 11th. And my son kept pushing me, mom, mom, mom go on that secret trail onto the right, which we've never gone on. I don't even know where it was or if how we knew where it was. And so we took this trail and we live in California and it took us down to this cliff and he bends over and he's like, look what I found. And he picks up this cross and he said, see, I told you there was a reason to come down this path today. This is uh, for all the people that have died on September 11th. Uh, and it, it just caught my breath. I was like, oh my gosh, how does my 11 year old, like that comes out of his mouth. And, uh, and then my other daughter, we, we're a very faith-based family. And my other daughter um, said to me today um, that uh, I said, oh, you just have so much love to give. And she said, oh, 
the love that God bestows on me uh, allows me to give it to other people. And again, mm. you're eight, like who knows bestow? I was like, how do you, where do you learn that from? So I just, um, uh, we just try to teach, you know, love and enjoy those, those simple moments. I, I talk about my kids in my book, um, a big word for us with COVID was understanding how to become resilient. And so we taught all of our kids how to spell resilience, but uh, I guess I would leave everyone, you know, with, with this little thought that when you're going through, and this is what we've taught our kids, a, a rough moment, we do a lot of positive self-talk. So one of the things we tell our kids when they say, Oh, I I'm stupid. I can't figure this out. Or I can't, I can't, I can't. And we hear them, we say, stop. And then they have to repeat to themselves 10 times. I'm strong. I'm brave. I'm resilient. And it is amazing how it changes the mindset at the end, just with a child who's eight and 11, you know, or two girls who are eight and 11, when you tell them to stop and repeat those three words 10 times, and it goes from, oh, I'm not stupid. Oh, I, I can do this. I am strong. I am brave. I am resilient. And you don't have to use those three words, but just um, whatever positive self-talk, do it for yourself, pause, breathe, and say those three words. And then if I may, my favorite, favorite quote, and I write this in the last page of my book, and I will give the person credit. Um, it's from L.R. Nost, and it says, I leave you with this, uh, not to uh, write the, give you the last chapter of my last page of my book, but this quote is my favorite quote of all times. Life is amazing, and then it is awful, and then it is amazing again. And in between the amazing and awful, it's ordinary and mundane and routine. Breathe in the amazing, hold on through the awful, and relax and exhale during the ordinary. That's just living, heartbreaking, soul-healing, amazing, awful, ordinary life. And with all of this, isn't it just breathtakingly beautiful? So it's my favorite quote. <laughs> I'm like full body chills right now. That yeah. is so every time beautiful. I read that, it gives me chills. I just, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, full body chills. Amazing. Wow. That is amazing. What, what, what a cool thing to provide for your loved ones and your children. And I, I just think like, you know, growing up that way in a more, you know, positive and mindful mindset would have just been such an amazing thing to experience. So it's so cool to see what you're doing, what you're doing in the world and the work that you're providing and, and all the the blessings that it's sharing with everybody. This has been a remarkable conversation. I've loved every second of it. Can you tell the listener where they can go if they want to learn more? Um, yes, they can always reach out to us. Um, our 800 number is 877-399-3746. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. Um, uh, we have a LinkedIn page at Excelable, and that's X-C-E-L-A-B-L-E, um, and then X-C-E-L-A-B-L-E.com. Um, so really, those are, are the best ways to reach out or info at Excelable.com. But we are, our app is in the App Store and the Google Play Store. Our consumer app, as I said, will be available and easily downloadable. Um, at the end of September. So when you go into the app store now, you have to put in an activation code. Um, I would just urge everyone to wait until our new app comes out because it's going to be so cool. Um, and we're so excited about it. So, uh, 
I appreciate the time. I am um, a little bit, uh, I talk a little bit too much, so I'm sorry if I took over the whole podcast. You're the guest. I, I <laughs> so, You're the guest. Yeah, of course I, I wanted you to talk. <laughs> but I, I do talk quite a bit, so I just appreciate you having um, me on. And um, if there's anything I can do to help out any of your listeners, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. And then please send them to the link to uh, buy the book. It's called Can Someone Help Me? And that's available on Amazon. That's amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, owner and founder of Excelable, thank you so much for all the goodness and, and great work that you're doing and doing it in a way that's very mindful and grateful. We're just so grateful for you and grateful for this conversation today. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. <laughs>